Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 280, Suit Up for Mars. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We're continuing with a reboot of our series that outlines a human mission to and from the Red Planet. The 10th episode explains what needs to be considered in the design and operation of a spacesuit that'll be used to explore the surface of the Red Planet. This episode was recorded on January 20th, 2021. Let's get started. There's a lot that Mars will throw at humans exploring its surface, so we have to be prepared with the right spacesuit. Luckily, we have a lot of smart people already thinking about how to address some of these issues. Things like those dust storms, mobility, and planetary protection. One of those smart people is Natalie Mary, a systems engineer for the Extravehicular Activity, or EVA, office. It's her job to perform analysis and integration for the Exploration EVA system with suit engineers and stakeholders from programs such as Artemis, Gateway, and Mars. So, let's get right into it. Suiting up for Mars with Natalie Mary. Enjoy. Natalie Mary, thanks for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks for having me. What an interesting topic, Martian spacesuits uh, suiting up for working on the surface of another planet. It's a huge deal. Natalie, I want to start with just understanding what it takes to work in such an interesting field. How do you get to the point where you are, where you're thinking about how to live and work on Mars in a spacesuit? Yeah, well, like uh, most space nerds out there, I, I grew up looking at the sky and stars and imagining about exploration. And I mean, as a kid, I put together those little glow-in-the-dark constellations on my ceiling in my room. Um, and I found I was decent at math and science and decided to want, you know, go into engineering, um, some sort of engineering field. And so I went to Texas A&M for a bachelor's in aerospace engineering. Um, about the time I graduated in 2000, um, it was perfect as NASA was hiring flight controllers. So um, pretty much as the ISS assembly began. Um, so I was a flight controller for about eight years and was very privileged to be a part of that. And then after that, I took on more of a like systems engineering kind of role and began working with the extravehicular activity office. And so my focus has been on systems engineering, such as architecture, interfaces, um, ops cons for multiple missions, um, including exploration spacesuit capabilities for uh, lunar, cislunar, and Mars missions. Um, and so my role has really been mainly on the architecture side of things, but to know that, you need to know what folks want the suit to actually do on the surface of Mars, um, how the environment of Mars infects the design of the suit, um, what kind of architectures the suit interfaces with, like pressurized rovers or habitats. Um, and so that is what I'm doing currently. And by the way, um, it's kind of cool that you call this podcast um, Suit Up for Mars because we have a public website 
that you can go to at nasa.gov um, backslash suit up. And that has our Artemis generation spacesuits rollout, some, some really cool references and images. And we have a yearly EVA technology workshop that um, includes the presentations throughout the years for that. Nice. So if you want to know more about just spacesuits in general, that's a good place to go. So, Natalie, why don't we start with that, spacesuits in general. Um, give a, uh, folks a sneak peek on what's on that website and uh, sort of what we're going to be talking about today. So some of those things you got to consider when you're designing a spacesuit. What are the things that, are, uh, that a spacesuit provides that it's, it's necessary for space exploration? Yeah, yeah. So the spacesuit um, provides the crew member with the life support, environmental protection, and communications capability to allow um, EVAs outside of the vehicle, extravehicular activity outside of the vehicle in the vacuum of space or on a planetary surface. Um, so it's not just clothes or scuba diving equipment, for example. Like if you're going to go scuba diving, uh, you have your dive suit for thermal, your buoyancy control, mask, fins, breathing air, uh, dive computer, things like that. Um, but with a spacesuit, that includes thermal protection and, and mobility and informatics, but it, it also protects you from vacuum by providing a pressure garment and oxygen and CO2 removal, communications, power, cooling water, drinking water and, and waste management, all the things that you need to survive. And so it's, it's pretty much your own personal spacecraft. That's actually the best way that I've ever heard it being described as your own personal spacecraft or like a spacecraft shaped like a human body. That's, that's essentially what it is. It's doing all these things to, uh, you know, separate all the needs or to give all the needs of what the human body is wanting um, within that environment because space or other planets, they just, they just don't uh, provide those needs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, there's a couple things about, um, you know, spacesuits. There, there, you mentioned a couple when you were talking about your current work on uh, does, or thinking about what a suit is going to be needed for Mars. And some of the things you brought up was like the architecture of, of Mars itself, right? What, what's going to be on the surface that the suit is going to need to interact with? Uh, what are you going to be doing? What do you want to do? Uh, I think like bending up and picking up rocks is probably one of those things you want to do and some of the environment. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking about those things, but I wanted to stay with just spacesuits in general, right? So like thinking about... Um, you know, how a spacesuit is designed to, to meet needs, right? So you're talking about the needs of a planet. Let's back up to like the EMU, right? This is the suit that's on the International Space Station. It's meant for microgravity. What purposes is the EMU, what is the EMU addressing? You know, what is it, um, how is it designed to operate the most efficiently in a microgravity environment? Okay, so transitioning from a suit um, made from microgravity uh, to reduced gravity, there's, there's definitely some differences in mobility. So in microgravity, uh, you're really transitioning and translating with your arms and hands, um, and, and your boots and your legs are pretty much stable or um, floating, I guess, per se. Um, but for the Moon and, and Mars, reduced gravity will need that capability um, in the lower torso, waist, legs, boots, to walk on the surface, uh, kneel down and pick something up, and uh, explore on uneven terrain. 
Um, the EMU was designed for microgravity, so doesn't have the, those bearings and the lower torso or, or hiking style boots designed for walking. Um, and then the, the life support um, for microgravity and, and vacuum is, is also different. It's designed for vacuum, and it, it and the EMU it's a great system. It's called Medox, um, but it it uses um, a heavy oven in the airlock to kind of bake off that CO2 for CO2 removal. Um, hmm. and, and the suit mass itself is, is designed, it's not that big of a deal for microgravity, but um, when it, it comes pretty important uh, when you start talking about the mass worn um, by the crew member on Mars and on the moon. The EMU is also, um, it wasn't designed to be uh, repaired and, and remove and replace components on orbit. It was um, have the ability with ISS to be able to bring back the entire suit and fix things on Earth. Um, and with Mars and, and the moon, um, that's, we're looking at being able to um, repair components or remove and replace components in situ. Oh, see, that's a big deal, right? Because you, that's a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a much different of a trip to go from low Earth orbit back to Earth uh, than it is than it is from Mars. Um, I'm thinking about the this features of the suit itself, right? Things that you need. I think you have a you have a great description of just what it's providing. I think another interesting component here is is atmospheric pressure, right? So. We're we're used to I think sea levels like fourteen point seven psi pounds per square inch on on the Earth, and that is matched within the environment of the International Space Station. Now I know that suits are a little bit different; they go they go lower, and I'm curious as to as to why. Yeah. Okay. So um, if you were to have a suit at our sea level atmosphere at fourteen point seven. Um, delta pressure to vacuum, it, it would pretty much blow up like a balloon and, and it would be really stiff um, so that you could barely move your joints, let alone your, your fingers. Uh, so during an EDA, the suit pressure is actually lowered to around 4.3 PSID. Um, and to do that, you increase the oxygen content to 100% oxygen to both allow for improved mobility and to prevent decompression sickness or what you call the bends, you usually hear it called during scuba diving. Um, and so you can actually change the atmosphere in the vehicle too prior to an EDA to reduce that duration of pre-breathe. Um, but when you reduce the pressure, you have to increase your oxygen concentration. Um, that also increases flammability risks um, and so there is actually some testing going on. It's pretty exciting um, this year to help come up with those kind of exploration atmospheres um, to use across vehicles from like cis lunar to the moon to Mars and come up with some commonality in the ecosystems. Oh, that's pretty cool. Just like a like a guide for for if you're if you're working here, this is the atmospheric pressure you want. Maybe maybe about composition too. So that's what you're doing. You're you're making almost a guidebook for uh, depending on where you're exploring. Exactly. Yeah, and that that'll help um, with probably coming up with the objectives of um, of a mission or 
the particular science objectives and what you want to do during an EDA, how often you want to go EDA, um, and, and that duration. Um, so those different atmospheres will affect that, that time that you prepare for an EDA. Cool. So we're talking about atmospheric pressures, and, uh, and Natalie, you went through a lot of the components of, of an, you know, what's on the suits that we know, these microgravity suits, right, the uh, oxygen waste management power. Um, really what we're leading up to here is talking about uh, these next generations of suits. Okay, yeah, these are really exciting times to be working with the EDA community because we've already incorporated um, a lot of things and lessons learned from past spacesuits and 50 years of of EDAs. Um, And so uh, one of the major things, I think, are incorporating the increased upper mobility and lower mobility um, to allow those crew members to perform the science that they want um, and go exploring. And so I, I have the pleasure of going on a geology field trip with our awesome geologists, and um, it was amazing. And while you plan a traverse prior to going into the field, you end up finding interesting rocks or transitional regions that just make you want to go climb into the rocks and, uh, <laughs> or dig and collect samples. Um, for instance, the scientists want to be able to go into a, a permanently shadowed crater or region and collect samples or um, climb on some uneven terrain. Um, and so we've incorporated that mobility by including hip and leg bearings so that you can rotate and bend and get down and onto your knee and, and collect a sample. Um, and so the upper torso has also been made with greater mobility in mind, um, not only for the smaller crew members, but um, also being able to rotate the shoulders. Um, and those side bearings have been moved closer in so that you can uh, reach over and touch, you know, your shoulder. Um, and so that's a really, those are really interesting for lunar and, and Mars surfaces that we can learn from even further. So w- the discussions we're having now is like uh, mobility, right? So you got that lower mobility, you got the upper mobility. The things you're considering is what are we going to be doing on the surface? And that's going to inform design. So obviously, you know, having more ability, uh, mobility rather, on the lower torso to bend over and on the up- upper torso to grab rocks um, and, and climb stuff. The suit port has to serve a purpose for what you're going to be doing on the surface, right? So how does how does that come into play? Why why is that uh, necessary for when you're operating on the moon? Okay, yeah. So suit ports um, are a technology uh, that you may have seen on the pressurized rover picks, or even here on site at um, JSC and Building Nine. Um, but we're considering it uh, within the range of technology options. Um, being evaluated for our suit technology, um, and which is flexible enough to support it, uh, given those things that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don, being able to don the suit through the back hatch, um, the suit has that capability, uh, as well as the capability of a variable pressure regulator, um, so that you can start at a, a different um, or higher pressure differential. Um, this could allow uh, the crew member, um, depending on what starting pressure uh, they're saturated at, to be able to have a shorter pre-breathe 
um, ingress the suit through that hatch and hop off the vehicle, basically. So mm. it, it could decrease that um, pre-EDA time quite a bit. Uh, and so there's a lot of discussion on um, if you want to uh, jump out and, and look at something interesting um, or if you want to uh, stay out for longer. Basically, you could have that capability of doing both. Um, you would be able to plan your traverses and have the capability to um, perform a longer EVA if you're out for a long time and want to perform science at a specific site or have the, the, that cycle capability if you want to perform multiple EVAs in a day. So let's continue down that path, Natalie, about uh, exploring the, the operations of, of performing an EVA on the surface. Take us through um, what that's going to be like. You already mentioned you know, enter, entering through the back uh, port of the suit and doing a pre-breathe operations, but what's, what's, a, what's an excursion going to look like? Let's, let's start with the moon. What's an, what would an excursion look like on the moon? Um, yeah, so we have uh, some operational concepts that we're looking at. Um, if you have a habitat, say, and a, and a pressurized rover, um, you're looking at going out on excursions in the pressurized rover away from the habitat um, for uh, maybe a week or two at a time um, and, and kind of doing maybe a cloverleaf type um, traverse, uh, kind of going out farther and then coming back in um, to the locations that scientists want to go perform their objectives. Um, and so maybe during a day you'd go out in, in your pressurized rover and then you're, pre you're already saturated at that, that pressure. And so you're able to get in your suit, perform suit checkouts, um, egress the, the suit port, and um, perform your science objectives possibly come back in for lunch or potty break or something like that, and then go back out. Um, or you could go out for even longer, eight-hour duration EVA, and come back in. And eventually, we're, we're going to need to perform uh, suit maintenance on the suits. And mm -hmm. so to do that, um, we're going to be using a pressurizable volume and bringing the suits inside a pressurizable volume like an airlock. Um, on the habitat. So eventually you'd go back to that habitat um, and bring the suits inside an airlock for suit maintenance. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, you, you would have that ability. So I guess a suit can, yeah, would have to be in that airlock so you can regularly work on it. The maintenance that you're doing would be like, uh, you know, switching out internal components maybe. Are we talking maybe maybe gloves? What do you mean by maintenance? Yeah, so we do have experience with, with ISS. Um, you've got an engineered smooth surface, um, except for micrometeorites. So you, we do have some debris that you know, will hit uh, handrails and things like that. So there are sharp edges on the ISS, so we have experience with that. Um, but what we don't have as much experience with is uh, you know, the sharp, dusty environment of the moon. Um, or the dusty environment of Mars. Um, and so we know just from ISS that we need to change out gloves um, fairly frequently. So that's something that, uh, an example of some suit maintenance that we would need to do on the surface 
Um, and then there's other components uh, that we um, maybe are called limited life items or things that we know we'll need to replace after a certain amount of cycle life. Um, and so that's when we would bring the suit inside for, for suit maintenance. Um, but that is um, actually another way we're going to be using the moon as an analog to Mars as understanding further those operations of the pressurized rover, um, suit maintainability, and suit reliability. Um, so those things we might be able to d decrease in time um, it, the more we know about the suit and what is what the main components and sparing philosophy will be for the moon and Mars. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Moon... That's uh, part of the Artemis uh, program, going to the, returning to the surface of the moon and performing those operations. A lot of the stuff that you're doing there, the operations that you're talking about, um, having you know the the design of how you're going to be uh, performing an EVA and then how you maintain the suits and everything. That's really good, really good analog, really good practice for when you ultimately uh, end up at the surface of Mars. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's another stepping stone, and what we call or refer to as an analog for Mars. Um, and while there are differences and challenges between the Moon and Mars um, that we will need further technology development with, uh, there's a lot of similarities there that we'll learn from on the Moon. Well, let's go into understanding a little bit about Mar what Mars is going to throw at us when we actually uh, uh, get there on the surface and start working in spacesuits. So what is it about Mars, um, you know, what is it about the Mars environment that you're preparing for and that you're putting into the design of a spacesuit? Um, yeah, okay. So um, Mars does have an, you know, an atmosphere, albeit a small one, but there's actually wind and fine particles uh, that will get on the suit. It, it's also dusty like the moon, um, hopefully less sharp dust because of the atmosphere. Um, but the, the lunar surface will get us a lot closer to understanding um, kind of like a layered engineering protocol uh, to design the suits for removal of dust outside of the habitable volume and removal and cleaning of dust inside the habitat. And, and this will become really important on Mars, too, because of planetary protection. Um, so there's a, a committee on space research uh, that classifies the moon and, and Mars differently. Um, and we'll likely have to abide by more stringent planetary protection protocols on Mars than we do on ISS and the moon. Um, and so that means protecting Mars science from human contaminants. Um, or forward contamination, and protecting the humans from anything that might be harmful on Mars or backward contamination. Um, so supports could also there be an important process of preventing that backwards contamination um, by what is referred to as uh, breaking the chain or uh, leaving the dusty suits behind on the, on the surface of Mars. And with that, though, with the suit port design, it also does have impacts on or changes that would, would need to be made um, from uh, an initial XBMU to a Mars suit. Um, and so it, it can add mass to the suit because it has to add um, a, a suit port interface plate um, that, that actually is a sealing surface between the suit and the bulkhead of the pressurized rover. Um, so one of the things we're really going to be looking forward um, to is the technology development of that, but 
the technology development of um, how we can reduce the mass um, on the suit for Mars. Um, and so that gets really important when you're talking about um, getting down to Mars surface after being in microgravity for so long, getting to that three-eighths gravity um, as opposed to um, what we've learned from the moon's one-sixth gravity. Um, and so with the crew members having been in space for six to nine months, um, they've really gotten acclimated to microgravity. Um, so when you get to the surface, you really don't want to battle a heavy suit with a very different you know, or possibly different CG after being in microgravity mm. um, and then getting down to the surface. And so I know um, doctors are saying we'll need to acclimate to that higher gravity over a certain amount of time. And so we'll, we'll stay um, in the vehicle for a little bit longer, possibly before performing an EVA. Um, but that mass reduction um, and understanding CG will be a big deal for crew members acclimating to the Martian gravity. So now we're talking about taking this, what we're thinking about for the XEMU, right? This is the one uh, we're thinking about for the surface of the Mars. You're talking about taking a step further. What technologies are needed to take that step to eventually work on the surface of Mars? Max, mass reduction is one of those things. What else What else are we thinking about? That we, uh, Some technology we need to develop for, for getting ready for working on Mars. Okay, yeah, we, we definitely know we have some upgrades that we need to do to <laughs> yes. uh, develop a suit for Mars. And, and so materials is one of those things as well. We're, we're looking, we're actually um, going to have some materials uh, on landing on Mars pretty soon, the, on the Perseverance rover. Oh, cool. I think that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's February 18th, right? Um, so it'll be carrying a, a payload called Sherlock which includes materials from the visor and pressure garment system to see how well they hold up um, to the radiation on Mars over time. Um, and, and some other technologies are, um, like we mentioned, the atmosphere on Mars um, is more of a CO2 atmosphere, um, and then the thermal environment is different. So those are two um, sometimes what we call gaps um, that we're looking forward in our strategic planning on um, technologies that we can upgrade for Mars. Um, so our XEMU technology is awesome, um, and it's, it's really more efficient for vacuum, though. It uses a, a swing bed technology. And so that CO2 is collected on one side of the bed, and then once it flips, it is vented to vacuum. Um, but with the CO2 atmosphere on Mars, an upgrade will, will be necessary. Um, and so... The same thing goes with the cooling swing beds and, and the fact that, that Mars has more of a convective thermal atmosphere with weather and seasons um, than a radiator like the vacuum of space and, and lunar surface. So we'll be looking at different technologies for CO2 removal and, and thermal cooling and heating. Um, and another change is going to be that, that calm delay um, mm. between Earth and Mars, right? So it could be, I think we were talking up to 22 minutes one way. Um, and so we rely a lot on the MCC, our Mission Control Center, to provide guidance and monitor data and send commands right now for ISS and, and also for Mars, uh, I mean for Moon, um, but for Mars, um, crew autonomy is going to be, uh, become a lot more important and more important than ever with crew members possibly 
consisting of scientists and, and then greater reliance on software and procedures on the suit um, and maybe intervehicular crew member guidance, um, like your crew members that are on, on Mars with you. Um, and so that communication is, is going to become really important and autonomy. See, that's that. That wouldn't even be something that I would think of immediately, you know. And and I I uh, actually do commentary for um, spacewalks now, and you can just hear over the loops um, just all the behind the scenes work, all the behind the scenes chatter that's happening as we're watching a spacewalk happen real time. There's decisions being made, and people analyzing data from all these different angles. So it's just. It's really it, just understanding that from from my perspective and, and being a part of that, thinking about all of that goes away, right? All those helping hands, all those eyeballs go away because you there's there's no way to efficiently conduct a spacewalk if you're waiting 22 minutes, even more more than that, uh, for an answer. If you have a question, uh, uh, very interesting stuff. Is there is there thoughts to practice this? You know, whether it's on the moon or or otherwise, just to sort of get used to it before we do it for real. Yeah, we uh, we actually do a lot of analog work and 1G um, on oh, cool. this, um, and even incorporating in delays and calm. Um, and then I, I think that's a great analog for the moon is um, once we start upgrading our informatics systems and um, even allowing the the crew members during an EVA to change procedures or, or make decisions. Um, based on the science that they see right in front of their face, um, then it's a really good analog to, to use the moon as um, as well. Well, Natalie, I'm I'm super excited about Mars, and it, it just sounds like there's a lot of challenges ahead to to take that next step and and close those gaps, as you're saying, right? There's just a lot of a lot of work ahead, but. I'm thinking about the near future. I'm thinking about Artemis and how 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 near term that uh, ver- seems to us right now. You know, going on the surface of the moon and and working and doing great science and everything. I'm curious from your perspective, working on spacesuits. I'm I'm curious to hear what you are excited for 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 this upcoming period of time where we're going to have a new generation of moonwalkers and what you're looking forward to doing and exploring that's going to help you in your job in understanding. Um, how to live and work on, on Mars in spacesuits. Oh yeah. I'm super excited. This is an awesome time to be working, um, with the EVA community and, and lunar surface and Artemis. Um, and so, yeah, our, Artemis just offers a great opportunity to test out our systems and, um, and operations closer to home and, and understand that maintenance and reliability and, and the operations and, um, crew autonomy, and so even though some of those aspects of our Mars suit are different than the, the Artemis lunar suit, um, there's just so many of the operations, like dust removal is a big thing and instant to suit maintenance. Um, and so I think those were, are going to be um, an amazing analog to, to go for Mars. Very cool. Natalie, this has been really, really Really interesting to dive so deep into, um, you know, not even this next generation of suits, but it's it's cool to hear that that there's a team of of really smart people thinking about the generation after that, right? Just getting us ready uh, to take those next steps. So it was really a pleasure to to talk to you about and and dive deep into all the fascinating aspects of a Martian spacesuit. Appreciate your time, Natalie. Thank you. Houston, go ahead. Stop of the space shuttle. Roger, zero. 
Jim Carr. It's actually a huge honor to break a record like this. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Never used to. Welcome to space. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hope you're enjoying our reboot of the Mars series. Uh, you can skip ahead to the final episode, if you want, at nasa.gov slash podcast and check out uh, any of our episodes in no particular order. But there's especially a Mars collection of episodes, and you can check out the last one if you want. If not, don't worry about it. We're going to bring it right to your feed uh, next week. While you're there at nasa.gov slash podcast, make sure you check out some of the other great shows we have across the whole agency. If you want to talk to us specifically, uh, you can talk to us at the NASA Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can use the hashtag AskNASA on any of those platforms to submit an idea for the show, maybe ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. Thanks to Will Flato, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, and Jaden Jennings for their part in this podcast. As always, shout out to former podcast team members Alex Perryman, Norm Moran, and Jennifer Hernandez for their help in the original episode. The episode originally aired February 5th, 2021 as episode 181. Thanks again to Natalie Mary for taking the time to come on the show. Next week for episode 11, the final episode in our Mars series, we chat with NASA's Mars architecture team about the mechanics of returning the first astronauts from the surface of Mars back home to Earth. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us how we did. We'll be back next week.